If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Truth in My Days podcast is sponsored by the Truth in My Days ministry. Welcome to the Truth in My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Hello all. Just as a reminder, this is part 26 of a multi-part series. Today we have Sonia interviewing John. We've been looking at the question of the age of the earth and whether it is important or not. We saw that the Bible does teach that the earth is about 6,000 years old which contradicts the claim of secular science that it is 4.6 billion years old. Some apologists, the so-called old age creationists, accept that the Earth is 4.6 billion years old and say that teaching it is 6,000 years old, which is young Earth creationism, is a stumbling block to apologetics and drives people away from the gospel. If that were so, we cannot change what the Bible says about this. And in fact, the broad data seems to show that the opposite. We lose people when we compromise on what the Bible teaches about creation. The most comprehensive study of which we know on this issue found that believing the Bible has errors in it, as it would if it were to be wrong about creation, is much more significant factor in causing young people to abandon the church than a supposed contradiction between the Bible and secular science. We saw that the world's top Hebrew experts from leading universities who do not believe in inerrancy, so do not feel the need to make the Bible fit with the claims of secular science, all agree that Genesis 1 certainly teaches that God created the world in six earth rotation 24-hour days. Then we began to look at what is said by Christians who argue that the earth is 4.6 billion years old, and we saw that they not only make certain errors about the laws of science, but particularly that they overlooked the fact that the entire creation week was a week of miraculous activity. The laws of science did not take over the operation of the universe until after the six days of creation were finished. Furthermore, scientific data such as the radiometric dating that supposedly shows the Earth is 4.6 billion years old only does so if invalid assumptions are used. Much scientific data actually shows the Earth is young. Next, we looked at the arguments old age creationists raise to deny the plain meaning of Genesis 1. Next, we looked at the arguments old creationists raise to deny the plain meaning of Genesis 1, such as claiming the word translated day here can mean long periods of time. But in fact, in the form in which it appears in Genesis 1, it can only mean an earth rotation 24 hour day or the daylight portion of it. We saw that plants could indeed have been made appear in one day and Adam could have certainly named all the animals that existed within a day. We also saw that day 7 is a 24-hour day, even though the ending is not mentioned. God rested or ceased from his creative work. This cannot mean the day continues till now. Now, it should be noted the age of the earth is not a scientific issue. A Christian is saved regardless of what he believes about the age of the earth. Nevertheless, Christian teachers and apologists still need to teach the biblical truth about this matter. We cannot deny what the Bible says and still maintain that we are upholding biblical authority. 
Old age creationists bring up a canard of church opposing Galileo's ideas that the earth moves about the sun, but actually it was the scientists of the day who opposed his view. And the Bible doesn't actually say the earth does not move in space. It does say that God created the world in a maximum of 7,687 years ago. In addition, attempts to separate the first two verses of Genesis 1 from the rest of the chapter to allow for a long passage of time between verse 2 and 3 also fail. The days do not begin with, and God said, as this phrase appears more than once in the same day a couple of times. It is a formula, there was evening and morning on the next day, that marks the end of each day, so that all before it belongs to that day, meaning day one started with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Day seven doesn't require this closing formula because it is not followed by another day of creation. If you look at the tenses of the verbs in the Hebrew text, we see in the first two verses they're perfect and after that imperfect. But that does not indicate the passage of time between Genesis 2 and 3. This is actually the standard style for historical narrative. There are things in the Bible that modern science has helped clarify, such as healing of the blind man in Mark 8, 22-25. But none of these contradict what the text says. We looked at the gambit that there could be billions of years between the days, but we saw that does not work. The creation of plants in a 24-hour day 3 and then billion years later the creation of sun in a 24-hour day 4 and the creation of all the land animals on a 24-hour day 6 cannot be reconciled with the old age secular science. So unable to reconcile the biblical creation with secular science, some old age creationists have resorted to claiming that the creation account in Genesis 1 was never intended to be taken as history but as a metaphor. However, there is nothing in the text to justify such a claim and this approach opens up the door to writing off all the miracles in the Bible as mere metaphors. Furthermore, treating Genesis 1 as a metaphor is only the start. It then becomes dramatized history and then mytho-history. Evangelical scholars go from treating the Bible like any other book to show that it is not like any other book to treating the Bible like any other book to apparently treating the Bible like any other book because it is like any other book. Genesis becomes indistinguishable from Mesopotamian and Babylonian ancient Near Eastern literature. It should be noted, the Bible warned us long ago, in 1 Timothy 6.20, not to be misled by false science, which is what is happening now. And we began to look at whether the Bible suggests that we should follow myths, which is what these apologists tell us Genesis 1 contains. Now we continue the discussion. So let's continue on this discussion between Dr. Michael Lacona, the evangelical scholar who tells us that the gospel books are full of errors, and Dr. Craig addressing the issue of Genesis, and find out about this mytho-history. When I read this, my thoughts went to the Homeric epics, in which you have main characters such as, like in the Iliad, you have uh, Hector and Achilles and Zeus, and Apollo and others. And then in the um, Odyssey, you have Odysseus and the Cyclops, uh, Polyphemus and, and others. So, you know, I'm thinking about this, that some classicists, some scholars of antiquity think that the Homeric epics do preserve a kern some kernels of histor uh, historical truths, yes. that there was a, um, they think that there very well could have been a historical Hector and Achilles um, and an Odysseus. Um, 
But obviously, the stories of these have been greatly amplified and um, a lot of myth has been put in, in there. So are, are you thinking of the Genesis account in similar terms? Yes, that's exactly right. So there you have it. Uh, mytho-history means that perhaps some scholars think there may be a kernel of truth in this. Perhaps some of the characters mentioned in the account existed, but it's been dressed up by a whole bunch of myths. Obviously, the stories have been greatly amplified, and a lot of myth has been put in there. Does that capture Dr. Craig's view? He says, yes, exactly. Now, let's continue and see how this plays out. In my book, I focused primarily on Egyptian and Mesopotamian myths because these are the most relevant to Genesis 1 to 11. The Homeric myths, the Greek myths come too late to have been an influence on the uh, traditions that are embodied in Genesis 1 to 11. What do you think of that? He, he's making it sound like Genesis is some secular writing of which most of it is not true. It, it does sound like that. It's interesting that he says in his book he focuses on Mesopotamian and Babylonian myths. Why? These were writings by ungodly pagan peoples who followed false religions that the God of the Bible always denounced. If you want to understand Genesis, why not focus on Genesis? Why are you focusing on pagan myths and then using these as some kind of template through which to interpret Genesis? Please note that this is a multi-part series. If you have missed any episodes and would like to listen to them, they will all be available on our YouTube channel and on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can find the links to these on our website, truthinmydays.com, or you can look for Truth In My Days on YouTube as one word. Let's continue. So if you were to... I don't know that you're able to do this, but um, what if you were to to look at a percentage? What percentage do you think of Genesis 1 through 11 is history, and what percentage is myth? I don't think that it's going to be within our ability to separate the two in that sort of clean way, Mike. I, I think that we have to simply recognize that these are mytho-historical accounts, and then look for the central theological truth that these accounts are intending to teach. So he, he doesn't consider um, six-day, 24-hour days creation as a theological truth, I suppose? Well, obviously not. Uh, it's interesting that he says we should just view these as mytho-history. Now, we've seen in our discussion that he has not given us any reason to view it as that. Unless somewhere in there, there's, again, there's this motivation driven by science falsely so-called. There's certainly nothing in the text that would give us that indication that this is so-called mytho-history. What do we do with Psalm 119, verse 160, that says the entirety of your word is true? And the second problem I see here is that he says, well, we can't know. There's no way to separate out the truth from the myth. Well, if there's no way, how can you build on anything? How can you take any point and say, well, this is true, that we can build on this? 
but the myths we can't. We, you can't figure it out. Does this apply to the rest of the Bible? If the Homeric epics are similar, as Dr. Craig suggests, and Lacona elsewhere uses these Homeric myths, and particularly Greco-Roman bios, to tell us that there are errors in the Bible, that the Gospel writers got things wrong, forgot things, made up things to make their stories more interesting. How can you possibly know which parts are true? And of course, Psalm 119, 160 would be completely wrong. The entirety of your word is not true. The entirety of your word is a mix of truth and myth, and we really have no way to separate them out. That's a bit of a problem. I suppose he might say, we have no way to separate them out, but God knows how to separate them out, and all the non-myth stuff is God's word, and that so and that the entirety of the non-myth, which is God's word, is true. I suppose he could say that. Well, he could, but he won't, and it wouldn't work because he's telling us that we need to follow these these truths, these big truths in the Bible. How do we do that if we don't know? I mean, what's not the Bible given to us in order to understand what God wants us to understand? But let's let's continue with with this account where he says that Genesis here was given not for knowing how God created, but for these these central theological truths. How can we know what they are? Let's listen. Uh, just to give one illustration, chapter one, I don't think, is intending to teach us that God made the world in six consecutive twenty-four hour days. Any comments? Then um, what is it trying to teach us? That's a good question. Why should we not think that it's trying to teach us that when that's exactly what it says? Why, why, where do we get off saying, oh, I don't think it intends to teach us that when that is actually what it says? Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. But please join us for the next part, same time and same place. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. If you like our content, please share this information with family and friends. It helps us a lot. We also would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Truth In My Days as one word again. Truth In My Days as one word. No spaces in between. Or reach us by email at info at truthinmydays.com. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you.